You know, there are times when uh, we make choices that we know better about. Uh, for instance, this um, past several months, there has been one children's recreational item that has been harder to find than any other. Can anybody name what that is? What is it? Diapers. Okay. <laughs> diapers. Well, you know, I don't think it's diapers. Uh, the recreational item, I believe it is a trampoline. Uh, trampolines at the beginning of the pandemic were an extremely hot item. Why? Because I think parents realized their children weren't going to school, they weren't going to PE, a lot of their uh, extracurricular athletic activities have been canceled, and they wanted something to burn some of that energy that young people had, and a trampoline seemed like the best idea. Now, the reason why I bring this up is that's completely counterintuitive because a trampoline is responsible for over 100,000 injuries in the United States every year. 100,000, I mean, that's just a mind-numbing number, almost all under the age of 16. Now, I understand the attraction. The attraction looks so good, doesn't it? Happy children jumping and playing with barely any supervision, the lighting and the air underneath their hair as it flips and flops going up and down. And they might even learn some gymnastic skills and eventually be in the Olympics or a diver and all of the rest, all of that, wonderful. But then I consider taking them to the emergency room in the middle of a pandemic. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite uh, little podcasts did a show about the trampoline shortage at the beginning of the epidemic. And the irony was the person, the expert they were interviewing uh, about this had recently bought a trampoline for her children, knowing all of the things that would happen. And they had just come back from the ER where one of her children had a broken arm. And so it is just funny. We know, we know, and yet we do it anyway. Isn't that the way life is? We know better, and yet we end up doing it anyway. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a text. We're jumping ahead a little bit in Proverbs at a text that I am going to rate almost PG just because there's no way to get around this topic. The father is warning the son about inappropriate relationships with women. And so that's a hard topic to talk about in a, in a uh, super coded and delicate way, but I will do my dead level best. Uh, but we want to look here uh, at Proverbs chapter 5, verse, we're going to take a few verses as we go through the text. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6, uh, verses 15 through 18, and then the last three verses uh, together. Listen as I read uh, God's word this morning. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And then picking up again in verse 15, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. 
Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then in verse 21, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for his lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. When we study God's Word, we recognize our desperate need for help. And so we pray and ask that God will help us to learn and grow from it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your Word. Lord, we recognize even as we open it and read it, that if we're to benefit from it, we need your help. So Lord, we pray that you will send your Spirit to help us to hear, to listen, to believe, and to apply these truths to our life. Spirit, I pray that you will help me to speak your word clearly and pointedly, that we will hear it and be encouraged by it, to become more like Jesus and to give you honor and glory, for it is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So as we look at this text, we're continuing in these instructions uh, that is sort of posited as the father teaching an emerging adult son. Now, of course, these teachings apply to emerging adults of all genders, uh, but of course, the framework here is a father teaching a son, and that's why uh, the specific illustration that he is using here is about the temptation of, uh, of the forbidden woman. And as we begin this, I want us to understand two things. One, that yes, this is very specific instruction about one particular kind of sin, but it is also instruction about a broad array of sins that follow a very similar pattern to this. And so I kind of want us to be able to both look at the specific uh, sin that the father is warning the son about, and then about corollary sins and how they work in our own life as well. So first of all, I, I really only have two points today. Uh, that's never a sign that it's going to be shorter. It's just a sign that, that it's um, simplicity. Uh, the first thing we want to look at is desire and deception. And the second thing we want to look at is desire and delight. So desire and deception, desire and delight. First of all, we want to see desire uh, and deception. It's interesting how the father appeals to his son once again to be attentive to his wisdom and incline his ear uh, to understanding. He's encouraging his son to remember everything that he's been taught. And remember here, the father is not saying that his wisdom or, his or the young man's uh, mother's wisdom is sufficient in and of itself, but that their wisdom is a reflection of the wisdom that has come from God's word and has come from the, the wisdom that God has given to Solomon uh, to pass along to his people. So he's encouraging him to remember this. And we see this often in the book of Proverbs. The father is again stoking his, his young, emerging adult child to remember. And why, do, why does he have to keep saying to remember or be attentive? Well, it's because young people and older people tend to forget. You know, I, I grew up thinking that if I heard something once, that I just knew it. 
And the problem is I may have known it academically, but I may not have known it experientially. And we need to have experience with the wisdom and knowledge, not just kind of be like, yeah, been there, heard that. And so he's saying, please listen. As a matter of fact, in verse two, he goes a step further. He says, may your lips, uh, that your lips may guard knowledge. That means that not only is he listening to it, but he's repeating it. It are the kinds of things he says in line with this wisdom and uh, understanding that he has been taught. Does it, does it roll off the tongue? In other words, if someone heard us talk, any one of us, speak 100,000 words, would they hear any words come out of the wisdom and understanding that we've been taught through God's word or God's wisdom? I think what he's saying is in order to guard that wisdom, it needs to be something that flows off our lips easily and often. But he says that he needs to have all of these resources sort of assembled to prepare him for what uh, he's going to face in life. And what's he going to face here? Here it's described very vividly for us uh, in uh, verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Here is the description and all of its attraction. You know, he talks about the forbidden woman. Now, the forbidden woman uh, can also be interpreted stranger, the strange, strange, the woman who's a stranger to you. What it means is a woman who you are not in a covenant relationship with, a woman that you are not married to. This is what he's describing. Uh, in this passage, it's clear that this is a woman who is married, but just not to you. And this woman is one who is putting on all of the charms. You know, she has gotten herself all made up. I'm sure she smells great. You know, she's wearing her best clothes and she is fishing. And what is she fishing for? Some sucker fish called a young man to come along and to satisfy her desires. And how, what is her bait, if you will? It says that her lips are dripping honey. Everything she says is sweet. They land on the ear. They taste good. This uh, idea of dripping honey is like uh, honey that's coming right out of the honeycomb. And the writers of old said that was the sweetest honey. Now, I have never, you know, guarded, you know, I mean, uh, braved a bunch of bees to grab some honeycomb and taste it right out of the honeycomb. But I'll take their word for it. It must be sweeter. And of course, in a world before sugar, this was the sweetest thing you could imagine. The sweetest thing the thing that would just wake up every, every uh, little delight in your mind. And that's the way she talked. And we can understand that. What does that mean? That she's speaking things that we want to hear. Flatteries. You know, she is speaking about things that sound like fun. And isn't this the way temptation always comes? Temptation always comes promising the best of everything. You know, it's saying exactly what we want to hear. It's appealing to our own vanities or to our own desires as it seems wants to draw us in. Notice it says that her speech is smoother than oil. When we think about desire and deception, we need to realize that it comes with sweetness and flattery. Why is that? Because that tends to lower our resistance, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Don't you want to do something for someone who flatters you? You know, who, who talks about you in a way that's positive, who honors you? 
You know, this is why so often relationships uh, become inappropriate is because one person uh, is uh, always honoring and complimenting and uh, all of that, the other person, and it gives the other person, you know, this ego boost and causes them to forget their principles. I mean, this is what he's saying. Look, don't be fooled. Just because it's sweet and smooth doesn't mean that it's the right thing. And so he's trying to be honest with him. It's, I like this father's honesty. Now, when I grew up, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes, or at least the way I remember it as a youth, it seemed like that adults would talk about sin or those things we shouldn't do as horrible, ugly, and dangerous on the face of it. You know, like, you know, when you confront, whenever you run into sin, it's going to smell like sulfur. You know, it's going to be ugly and hideous, and it's going to be like a horror show. And the problem is, as I got older, I realized it was exactly the opposite. The things that were the most dangerous were the things that seemed the most desirable, the things that would bring the most satisfaction, the things that would have the most fun, the things that would bring the most excitement. Those are the things that were more enticing. The father is saying the forbidden woman is going to come and it's going to seem like the most wonderful, exciting experience you could possibly ever have. But that's the way it looks on the front end. And of course, marketers take advantage of this every day, right? You know, there are very few ads that are like, look, let's be honest, this car is going to get you from A to B. That's about it, right? I mean, there was a, there was a movie years and years ago where, where someone, you know, was having sort of a truth problem, and they said, look, Volvo, it's basically boxy, but it's safe, you know? And of course, we don't market like this, right? We don't, because we want to tell you all the experiences it's going to give you. I mean, it's almost impossible to find an ad for an automobile that doesn't show someone seeming to have an experience of ecstasy while driving the vehicle. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, that, that's been really rare. And usually after I've been to the doctor and probably shouldn't be driving, you know, where I'm driving the car and having a feeling of ecstasy. Now, if, you know, there might be some who experience it that more than others, but, but you know, what a, what a humorous thing. You know, and uh, here that's what he's saying. What's the other end of it, though? You see, this desire comes with deception because it ends differently than it begins. And in verse 4, it says it ends with being as bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged uh, sword. That means it ends with bitterness and injury. That what seemed to be exciting and pleasurable ended up being injurious and leaving one only with bitterness and bitterness is a, great, is a great word because bitterness is something that stays in your mouth that almost makes you regret what you ate. Have you ever had that experience where you've eaten something and it tasted good at the beginning and then the back end of it was like, and you were like, what do I need to eat or drink to get this taste out of my mouth? In so many ways, the father is being honest. He's saying these sins, particularly the sin of the forbidden woman, but it certainly applies to many others. They seem exciting and pleasurable, but the aftertaste, and there always is an after, is always bitter. It leads a bad taste in your mouth. Now, I don't want your mind to go there too much, but do any of you have any regrets from your, from your life previous to this moment in time? You know, uh, if you're over like 13, you probably do. You know, you have some kind of regret. 
And I'm old enough to have lots of regrets. You know, I've got 50 years worth of experiences that I wish, wish I could live over again. And I can say, looking back on those things, all it is is bitterness, a sea of bitterness, the way I treated other people, you know, the kinds of things I did, the offenses against God, they bring no pleasure, only bitterness. This is what the Father is saying. Be aware of this. Be thoughtful. Have wisdom. Have understanding. Don't live, you know, as though now is the only time that exists. Because tomorrow exists too. And the day after exists. That's why whenever somebody really wants to tempt you, they say, live like there's no tomorrow. That's when you need to say, have that wisdom going through your lips, but there, but there will be a tomorrow. And if I live like there's no tomorrow, tomorrow is not going to be so great. And that, that's what the Father is trying to say. Uh, it, you can see that where this leads in verse 5, it's not bad enough that you have bitterness. The Father says in verse 5, her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. In other words, th this is just a descending uh, you know, incline here. Once you get on it, you, I know that this expression is used so much that I, I don't even want to use it. But everybody talks about the slippery slope, you know. And, and in my world, people get sick of hearing about the slippery slope. I'm so tired of hearing about the slippery slope. For those of you who don't know, the slippery slope, it means that once you start in a direction, it's really hard not to keep going in that same direction. You know, think of it as a, a whenever I was uh, in graduate school in Birmingham, uh, I, my summer job was working with a kids camp, and we had a lot of fun. And uh, we, the, the church where we worked uh, in Birmingham uh, had a huge hill, you know, on its property. As a matter of fact, it was really built on the side of a mountain. And so I had this huge sloping green grassy hill that led from the educational building area down to the parking lot for the gym. And so this had to be, looking back, it had to be 30, 40 yards of slope. And so we would go out and buy commercial, you know, I forget what it was, like 12 mil plastic. And we would just get enough to roll all the way down the hill, you know, into the parking lot. And we would get every water hose we could and we would keep them spraying on it. And we would take these little seven, eight, nine-year-old kids and we'd also get a little laundry detergent and spray it on the plastic. And we basically tossed these kids on it. And you know what? There was no more stopping going down that hill, you know, uh, than, than you can imagine. I mean, it was just whew, eventually with some of the kids who didn't have enough friction to slow them down. We had to put some bigger high school kids at the bottom to catch the kids before they hit the pavement of the parking lot. Now, I was the adult supervision, in case you were wondering. I was, I was in charge of the program, and we had a blast until, you know, you, and it's all great until the first aid kit has to come out, but, uh, but it was great fun. It was the most vivid image of a slippery slope, because once you were on it, you were going all the way down. And the Father is saying there's some kinds of sin patterns that are so entrapping that when you get on, it's hard to stop going down. And I think our world is very familiar with that in the area of certain types of addictions. You know, there are some substances, you know, in our world right now, things like heroin and meth. Those things, from what I understand, are instantly addictive. 
And we've seen so many cases of people who use it recreationally, think it's just a good time, and then there's no getting off. And it, they're unique in that way. They're hyper-addictive. Uh, but there are some behaviors that are not drug-related that are like that as well. And the rush of uh, the desire being met, even in an appropriate way, the Father says, is a slippery slope that can lead to death. So I know people get tired of talking about slippery slopes, but we wouldn't talk about them so much if they didn't exist. You know, they're a reality. The Father says, look, her path is only going one direction, and it is death. As a matter of fact, when he talks about her in verse 6, you know, this metaphorical, you know, uh, woman, he says, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. In other words, listen, son, she's not thinking about where she's going. There's no understanding there. So don't listen to her. That's what he's saying. She's just wandering around. She's aimless. Don't, don't hit yourself up with someone who doesn't know where they're going, but I know they're going to the path of death. And we look at the end of our text and see that it ends in destruction. Verse 21 through 23, the writer says, listen, none of this is hidden from the Lord, no matter how thick the curtain, no matter how dark the, the room. The Lord knows everything. And he sees everything. And he says these kinds of sins are the very things that end up ensnaring a human being. And those cords of sin hold him fast and, and take him to judgment and destruction. This is what, what the text is saying. The Father is saying don't mess around with things that have the ability to ensnare and enslave you and take you to the opposite of life, which is death and destruction. Verse 23 really summarizes it, right? He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Here the writer is saying, son, and I think we could say daughter, friend, brother, sister, beware the thing that seems attractive but hides a scorpion's tail. This is what he's saying. Now, let's think about those areas in our life, you know, that are like that right? Now, I don't know what they are in your life, but for some people, it's looking up old college or high school friends on Facebook. You know, I know that seems bizarre, but a lot of marriages have had problems because of this. For some people, it's spending more time with people at work that are the opposite gender that maybe you need to be more careful about those relationships. You know, particularly the, the men and women in this room that are over 40, uh, I won't name you, you know, but you know who you are. You know, as we get older, we long to be admired. And that becomes such an easy thing to draw us into all kinds of folly, to put it lightly. And for young people, let's be honest, this is the world you live in. We live in a world where we don't have to think of, you know, that stranger, that one woman in town who's trying to lure in young, susceptible young people, our whole, our whole culture is basically the forbidden woman. You know, our whole culture is saying, you know, your sex is for spreading all over and however and whichever way you want. You know, it, it's yours. It's your property. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it is your personal possession to be used however you want. And the father is saying, 
Yeah, there's always a tomorrow to that kind of thinking. There's always a tomorrow, you know. And this is where I don't want us to end. You see, I've talked about that, and that's heavy. But I want us to see where the Father goes. I think so many people give uh, biblical faith a bad name because they think all it talks about are these warnings and these negative things. But this is one of those amazing passages that actually turns it completely around and talks not only about desire and deception, but talks about desire and delight as well. Notice that's really what he talks about in many parts of the text, but I chose verse 15 through 18 because they seem most young person appropriate uh, for this, uh, but you feel free to look it up on your device or read it later for your own encouragement. But here he uses this analogy of water. Now, for us, you know, water is just, you know, this substance that's ubiquitous. You know, we have it in bottles. We have it out of the tap. You know, there is no lack of water. Uh, last night, we had gallons of it pouring over our roof. But in the ancient Near East, especially in Israel, where this was read, water was a precious substance. You know, there was no waterworks that brought you clean water. You had to capture water in a cistern, which it talks about, you need to have water flowing in a well that you dug way down in the ground and found water, uh, or you needed to find a river, some other source of water. And it was hard, especially in the dry season. And so when he talks about water, he's talking about something that's precious and life-giving. And we need to keep this in mind as he uses this analogy. He wants to talk about how there are some things that we're tempted to do that it's not that we can't do the thing it's just there's an appropriate place and time for that thing. And so he says, drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourselves, not for strangers with, with you. And we're all like, what is he talking about? And then he gets to the point. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. What, what is the father saying? And I know this because there's more to this text. He is saying there is an appropriate delight that God has given. That what this woman or what the world tempts us to do is often something that is a good thing that has been created by God. It is something, think about the big, the big ones. You know, uh, you know when, when I was younger, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I actually got brought up, believe it or not, before the honorary board at my college for being quoted as saying, man, I'm just here for sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and, uh, which I said as a joke, mostly, uh, you know, in my paper in my freshman year. And I actually, a friend of mine, you know, was like, hey, man, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, sure, whatever. He goes, no, I'm on the disciplinary board. We need to talk to you. And I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. But because uh, trust me, you know, you didn't have to look far to find any of those things at the college. So it was... Uh, I'm sure it's changed a lot, Lewis. Is, I'm sure it's super tame. It's practically a convent now, you know, when you think about it. But um, nonetheless, you know, so often we think, well, these kinds of pleasures are always off limits. But the Bible doesn't say that. You know, intimate pleasure, and we all know what I mean by that, right? Intimate pleasures, the pleasures that come from being close to someone of the opposite gender, God made that. He made that. He called it good. That, he made that to be a joy and a blessing to human beings. It is not the thing that is bad. It is the misuse of the thing. 
And this is something that's very clear. What does he tell this man? If you want to avoid temptation, it's not you know, ignore the idea uh, of uh, physical intimacy altogether. What he's saying is find it in the right place and then relish it. Enjoy it. Savor it. This whole talk about water, drinking water from your own cistern and not letting it flow in the streets, that means take this precious gift, this thing that is so life-giving, and keep it where it belongs. Just like in an arid climate, you wouldn't just let your life-giving water go flowing in the streets and thus lose the benefit from it. You wouldn't let what God has put wonderful, beautiful boundaries around be used inappropriately out there in the world. That's what he's telling the son. Keep it at home. Keep it at home is what he's saying. C.S. Lewis, the writer who uh, I, I love, uh, wrote a book that's not that, I mean, it's a fun book to read. Uh, it's a hard book to quote in, in, a, in a sermon, and that's Screwtape Letters. Uh, one, because Screwtape Letters, the whole idea of it is that it's a demon talking to another demon. And so in this quote, when I say enemy, that means God. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but we're all smart and we're learning about wisdom. So I think we can handle it. Here's a, a quote uh, from about a third of the way through in Screwtape. Uh, one, this demon trying to, trying to teach a younger demon how to tempt a believer. He says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which is least natural, less redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. It is more certain and it's better style. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return is what really gladdens our father's heart. That's the devil. And the troths uh, tross are the time of beginning the process. What is Lewis saying? I love the way Lewis writes it. He's saying there's no true pleasure that God didn't create. You think about it. Uh, he created the food and drink. He created uh, the pleasures of the human body. He created the euphoria of fellowship and community. He created all of the pleasures God created them. And what he's saying is the best that the devil or the enemy can do is corrupt them, is to basically promise them and then not deliver them, is to give you diminishing returns. And that is the way. Here the father is saying, don't fall for that. Enjoy the pleasure for what it is in its most beautiful way. People often ask me, you know, is uh, what my opinion about physical intimacy is. And my opinion is, it's awesome in the appropriate context. And you say, well, what's the appropriate context? Well, in the covenant of marriage, obviously. Now, I know that when I say this, I prove myself yet again to be a Neanderthal, right? They're like, man, it's 2020, and this dude is still saying that physical intimacy 
you know, should only happen in the context of marriage, you know. And I'm like, yes, because that is actually the most pleasurable, joyful place for it. It really is. All of the other things are a sham and end in bitterness and death and regret. It just does. And, but what the writer is saying is more than that. He goes on to talk about it very explicitly. Don't just say, oh, well, at least I'm married. Say, oh, man, I'm married. That's the difference. You see, too often we take things like the normal bounds that God gives us as a consolation. You know, like, well, I'd really like to go do all the stuff the world's doing, but I guess I got to do it over, you know, I got to keep it in the bounds. No, he's saying, no, relish it. It is a, a, a tremendous gift. The Apostle Paul brings it up in 1 Corinthians 7, and he says it explicitly. He says, your body is not your own if you're married. It belongs to your spouse. And he says that to both husband and wife, in case we want to accuse Paul of, of uh, being a misogynist or something like that. No, he said, man, that dude's body belongs to his wife. That's very vivid, isn't it? You know, so if you're married, it's not inappropriate for you to say, hey, you need to take better care of that. It belongs to me, you know, right? Or, you know, whatever may be appropriate in your relationship. But here the father is saying, this is a great delight and it should be something enjoyed. Why do I, why am I stressing this issue? I'm stressing it because too many people think Christianity is dour and simply looks to pour water on any fun that anyone is having. And nothing could be further from the truth. True biblical Christianity is saying, no, I want you to have true and lasting fun. I want you to have the best kind of fun. I want you to enjoy all of God's gifts in the most unreserved, unregretting kind of way for all of your life. That, that's my goal. And that's so much more attractive. Because to be honest, when the father understands, when, he, when you're raising young people and emerging adults, you can't just tell them no all the time. You have to give them a yes to look forward to. And what is it, why do we say no to so many things? Because we are refused to accept anything less than the best. I mean, isn't that ultimately the way we want to be and the way we want to raise our young people to be? We want them to have a taste for the best, the best that God has to offer, and to not be satisfied with anything else. The writer uh, in Isaiah says it in a different way. In Isaiah 55, and we'll close with this idea. Uh, at the beginning of 55, the Lord is talking about uh, a renewal uh, that he is going to bring to the people of God the people of God who have chosen all kinds of pleasures that are offensive to God and, and ended up being incredibly destructive to the people of God. And he cries out to them in chapter 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Here, God is saying, why is it that we continue to chase the things that will never satisfy? When he offers, out of his grace, free of charge, it says there in Isaiah 55, 
everything that is delightful to the heart. May God enable us to seek those things which are truly and most lasting pleasurable and not the passing in the night, regrettable, momentary pleasures that bring the bitterness and regret. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are to us. Lord, thank you for giving us a life full of pleasure. Lord, while it may make us squirm or uncomfortable, it does not make you uncomfortable in any way. For Lord, you created us to enjoy the pleasures that you created for us. Lord, I pray that we will continue to know you and grow in our wisdom and in our understanding that we will understand the beauty and the satisfaction of those pleasures in the setting and the way that you have directed and that it will make it much easier to say no to those pleasures that only bring regret and bitterness. Oh Lord, I pray that you will help us always to look to you for direction and grace in these things. And Lord, we know that ultimately, we will find all of those pleasures as we continue to look to Jesus Christ who cried out, come to me all who are thirsty and I will give you drink. Lord, may we come to Jesus time and time again for those things which will truly satisfy our bodies, hearts, and souls, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.